Now, in our special music there, I'll be glad when God does rule the world. I think we're all praying for that day because the world we live in today, we see it going down quickly. And we have to be very careful that we don't get caught up in the attitudes and the doom and gloom, the hopelessness of this world is in. So God has given us something to really rejoice in, and that's his truth. And his Sabbath day, uh, we can rejoice in that as well. Now, I hope all of us have had a profitable week. Wall Street didn't. And can you imagine losing one trillion, one point dollars in one day? And that happened last Thursday. And you could, uh, all of the profits they made during this year was wiped out, just like that. All the sweat, and when you look at the you know, the people who are buying and selling, you can see the despair, in, the despair in their faces. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know which way to go. And it just shows you how quickly we can put our faith in this world, put our faith in things, and lose it quickly. But you put your faith in God and His Word, and it's forever. So you never lose that. And that's forever, and that's what God promises us who are here this afternoon and those of us who obey his voice. Now, according to the polls, and I'm sure some of us watch the polls, you know, they poll American citizens to find out what's on their mind. So they took a poll, they've been taking polls concerning the thinking of the American people about the future. And it's one of hopelessness and despair. When you talk about people today, they don't know what's going on. They've lost their faith in the government of the United States, lost their faith in the presidents of the United States. They've lost their faith in Congress. They've lost their faith in the judicial system. They've lost their faith in, in the economy. Do you know today, brethren, that we have almost 46 million people on food stamps? See? That many people. Congress is all-time low. Energy, people are worried about that. We can't drill. So they don't know what's going to happen this winter. They're claiming gas is going to go up over $5 a gallon. So we see the kind of world that we're in, the mess it's in. And we in God's church can never fall into that state of mind, hopelessness and despair. I know sometimes we may, we may want to, but we have to be very careful that we don't. Old people and young people have lost confidence in America. They've turned more to alcohol and drugs to find relief, and they can't. More to pornography, and they can't find happiness. So this society that's been created, affluent society, that's given us things, computers, telephone, you name it, has not brought happiness. It's destroyed people. It's taken away the families. Now you've got gangs of young people just roaming the streets, going through these stores, ransacking, stealing, and they don't know what to do at all. Now, brethren, we have been taught the end time, I know, for years and years and years by Mr. Armstrong and by Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames and others who are writers and all, and we have to be careful that we don't fall in the attitude, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, that they have no future and we need to be thankful that God has given us a future and he's given us this Sabbath day to honor him, to recognize him, 
to keep it holy, see, not to introduce anything into the Sabbath day that would defile it, that he is God and there is no other God. And by keeping this day, we understand that. If we keep it the way God says, we understand uh, what the Sabbath day is. No King Solomon wrote a long time ago, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, or so he becomes. So the scripture illustrate a basic principle. As people think in their heart, they act, whether it's positively or negatively. Whatever we think, we act on that. And we have to be careful we don't fall into these moods and attitudes because they begin with thoughts, moods and attitudes in the heart. So the thought is either is reflected in the personality. Now, you've been around people, so he's a happy man. That person's always negative. That personality is always negative. It shows in the face, comes out of their eyes, comes out of the mouth. So as we think in these moods, we have to be careful because Satan is moody. He is the God of all this destruction. He's a God of this despair. He's not a happy God of the world at all. So we have to be careful that we don't get in on his wavelength. We cannot fall prey to that syndrome. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Apparently, this was happening to the church there at Corinth. And Paul wrote this moving chapter about the resurrection, assuring them that Christ had been resurrected. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's notice verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men the most pitiful. In this life only, if we have only hope in Christ, we're all men most pitiful, as Paul was writing here. And what he's saying is that this life we have hope and confidence, but in Christ, and if we still be dead, uh, Christ still be dead and not risen, we're all pitiful. But Christ has been risen. He is the head of the church. He's building his church. He's in heaven now, guiding us, directing us, helping us to build the character. So our hope is above. There's nothing in this world that we should hope for because it will not, it may come to fruition, but it will not bring happiness. So a Christian, brethren, has to be careful that they stay away from these attitudes and moods that we've been talking about. In verse 33, Paul said, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You stay around evil people and you tend to take on their habits. You stay around negative people, you become negative. You stay around positive people, they make you happy, you see. So we have to be careful that we don't become corrupt by bad attitudes, bad moods as time goes on. And we don't know what's going to happen in the near future. There could be race rights, people fighting over food, you know, fighting over everything. And that's why God has to be real to us, as Mr. Meredith brought out in his sermon on the persecution. So he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. See, Awake to it. 
For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. Now, why did they have that knowledge? What was it that kept them from understanding what Paul was writing about, what Paul had been preaching, that Paul raised up the church? What was it? It caused them not to have that knowledge to their own shame. Well, they apparently had lost hope in certain areas. They began to take on different ministers, you see. They were trying to find some happiness, somebody, that they could put their faith in, in the trust in, instead of Christ. See, they began to trust men. And, of course, when they started trusting men, they got themselves in trouble. But we in God's church should have the abundant life. Christ came that we may have life and more abundantly. Now, the abundant life you just keep growing in. I know since I've been in God's church some 48 years, my life has increased. It's grown. I enjoy life more. I'm more disciplined. I have more knowledge. See, God has given that to me. And he gives the knowledge to those who obey him and those who have to fight their attitude of being moody or or trying to get their own way or threatening or whatever. See, and we have to be very careful that we never fall into that light. So we should be living the abundant life. The abundant life is not filled with worries, frowns, anxieties, depression, concerns, or negative uh, de- dependency. It is filled with the fruit of God's Spirit. Not self, not self, but love for God. Filled with love and joy and faith. That's what the abundant life is. So this temporary life that we're living is nothing. You know, I'm, I am, uh, I won't tell you how old I am, but I'm a little bit younger than Dr. Meredith. But it just seems like yesterday. You know, it just seemed like yesterday when I was a boy. See? And how quickly things go by. And it seemed like now time is rushed. You wonder, boy, Sabbath, Sabbath again, Sabbath again, Sabbath again. The week goes back quickly. And we all have to adapt to that. Now I believe with all my being, when you go back and look at Israel of old, as God's nation, did they really ever understand God? Did they really know him? See? What was it that kept them from understanding who God really was? Now, they heard about him, heard about how he delivered them out of, out of Egypt, heard about this and that. But did they ever really know him like we know him? See, If not, why? We asked ourselves the question. Well, you know what it was? It was a Sabbath day. See? He indicted Israel for two things. The Sabbath day and idolatry. By not keeping the Sabbath day, then they substituted God, another God, brought in other idols into the Sabbath or whatever. And, of course, uh, they, they were miserable all the way through. Now, God gave them this covenant back in Exodus 31. He gave them the covenant. And this is what God said in Exodus 31, verse 13. Exodus 31, verse 13. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know 
The only way you will know that I am the eternal who sanctifies you. By keeping it, it's a mark that identifies me. By keeping that, you see, you will know that there is no other God. I am the creator. There is no other God. Evolution is false. The education of this world is false. There is no other God. That you may know that. So what if a person then doesn't keep the Sabbath? Or doesn't keep it holy? Does he really know God? Is that the way you get to know God? Is just coming to church the way we know God? Just coming to church the way we know God? You know, Jonah, remember what Jonah did? <clears throat> he obeyed the command of God, but look at his attitude. His attitude, see? So we might could come to church, but what about our attitude toward the Sabbath? The high day of the week. Most important meeting of the week. Where we honor God. We look forward to it. We talk about it. We sing about it. All during the week. We think about the Sabbath day of rest to be with God. Being a meeting with Him. And we have, we esteem him then by esteeming the day that he created for us to, to meet on. And so he is showing here, you shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. So they bring another God into it or defile it in any way, you know, by working and so on. On that Sabbath day, back then they were put to death. But now it's eternal death, God says, if we defile the Sabbath. It's very important that we understand, and I know we do, how holy it is to God. We esteem Him. We hallow the Sabbath. We hallow His name. Say, hallow be thy name. Hallow the Sabbath day as well. Then he says, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath rest. Holy to the eternal, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign or mark between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he made an end of speaking, you know, Moses, he's just showing here, this will be the sign. You keep the Sabbath, you'll know me. You'll know there's no other God. And you'll never go back to the former gods, you see. And I believe with all of my being, when our former organization started watering down the Sabbath, they watered it down, they went back to their old gods, back to Christmas, back to Easter, back to the eating unclean meats, you see. They lost sight of God, who he was. They introduced a different God, tried to bring that in. Finally, they just did away with the Sabbath and, and made their own day holy. And so it just it shows you when we began to weaken the Sabbath, then we began to take God for granted. We began to take sin lightly. We began to have more mercy than God. See, So we have to be very careful as God's people, as time goes on, we will be tested on the Sabbath day. I believe that's going to be one of our biggest tests on the Sabbath. And if we break that, see, and I don't mean we don't slip from time to time and do things maybe we shouldn't do. We get convicted over it. I'm not talking about 
you know, we'd be a bunch of prudes, but to honor it, to esteem it highly, see, is very important. I believe that we really and truly understand. The more we keep the Sabbath holy, the more knowledge we we have and understand. <clears throat> I know this individual I baptized back in one of the churches I pastored. He was relatively new, and uh, his job was so important. If anything broke down, he had to go in and fix it, or the whole plant was shut down. So about two months after he was baptized, it happened. The, the boss called him in, the plant manager said, you got to come in. He said, I can't. He said, why not? He said, I'm keeping the Sabbath. He said, you've got to come in. Think about all these men. He said, no, I'm thinking about God. See, that's who I'm thinking about. He said, well, you're fired. So he went in that more Monday morning. Boss called him in. He thought he was calling him in to give him a paycheck. He said, well, you know, you fired me. He said, what? Well, you fired me. I said, are you kidding? I'm going to give you a raise. You see how God blessed that man, rewarded him for his obedience. Brand new person in the church. Hadn't been in long. And he's still faithful. He's still a faithful individual. And he goes out of his way to pick up widows and, and serve in that capacity. He's a happy person. He's growing in that knowledge. He's growing in that spirit of serving and giving, see. Not filled with self. Not thinking about the boss. Not thinking about a fellow employee. But what God thinks is very important uh, to all of us. Now, you, if we go to Ezekiel chapter 20... It's summed up here in this about Israel. What happened? Verse 15 of Ezekiel 20. So I also raised my hand in the, an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I have given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Because they despised my judgment, did not walk in my statutes, and profane my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. See? By not keeping the Sabbath like God said, they went after the idols, they went after the gods of Egyptians, or all around them. They never wanted God's servants to teach them. They always wanted a king that would be like other nations. See? And they paid a tremendous price for that. Tremendous price because they disobeyed God's Sabbath day. And uh, so, nevertheless, my eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. Uh, verse 20, Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the eternal your God. It is set apart for a special use, the Sabbath day is. And we hallow God's name by keeping that, that particular day, that introduces us and helps us to gain the knowledge of God that day and understanding. Verse 21, Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, and they were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them, 
and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. So the first thing, the first statute that God gave man was the Sabbath day. He, you know, he made the Sabbath for man. That was the first thing he, he told man. I'm making the Sabbath for man. I'm resting this day. You keep it, then you'll always know that I'm the creator, that I am your creator. You'll know that. So we don't have to waste our time studying evolution and all these other silly things. We know the true God. And that's what we will take with us, his knowledge, his understanding, that lasts forever and forever. And he goes on, he talks about in verse uh, 24, because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my Sabbaths, or statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on the Father's idol, back on their Father's idols, not, not God at all. So that's how important I think it is. If you go back and read Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, when Mrs. Armstrong was visiting that lady and opened the Bible for Bible study, showed Mrs. Armstrong the Sabbath. Immediately, her mind was open to the Sabbath day. Immediately. She said, i got to go tell my husband. He'll rejoice in this. <laughs> you know how we rejoice when one made his call, well, I'm keeping the Sabbath. Are you crazy? So Mr. Armstrong said, my wife has gone crazy. She's a fanatic. And see, he went on and he said, look, I know the Bible says thou shalt keep Sunday. He didn't know God. He had no inkling of God. He didn't know who God was at all. But Mrs. Armstrong would not give it up. Mr. Armstrong said, does the Bible say that a woman's supposed to obey her husband? She said, no, only in the Lord. He said, every question he asked her, she would answer. So he said, I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove that Sunday is the day we should keep. All these other churches can't be wrong. Have you ever heard that before? Well, how can they all be wrong? You know, what difference does it make? Anyway, as long as you go to church, as long as you keep one day of the week, what difference does it make? Well, it may not make any difference to a man. See, it may not make any difference at all to a man. Then Mr. Armstrong, then, the more he studied, the more he realized everybody was wrong. And the more he studied, and when he surrendered to the Sabbath day, when he surrendered to that, then God began to open his mind. To one truth after the next truth. Then God put him on that radio, 15 minutes, radio time. Nobody else wanted it, apparently, so he'd go on it. So one day the manager called him in and said, uh, Mr. Armstrong said, we've never had any requests before. People are asking for your tapes or your transcripts. He said, I've heard it. It says, you have a way about you. You can hold the interest of people. And I'm impressed with that. So I'd like to extend that to 30 minutes. 30 minutes. But I have to charge you $2.50. And when you don't have any money, you have the free time. You have to go to God, don't you? If it opens up to you, he surrendered to the Sabbath. God now was training him. All right, he, he went to the, some of the brethren, and they offered to help a dollar fifteen. 
He still needed a dollar thirty-five. Then he thought, well, the people who are tra- asking for my transcripts, I'll write them. You see how that work started and how we do the day? We write to co-workers. We write to people who send in the income. And how the work started growing then, little by little, under Mr. Armstrong, until he realized that God had called him, called him to do a work, and called us to help him in that work, and called us to be trained in that work. So what was our first big problem when we were called? The Sabbath day. I didn't have any trouble with the other nine. It was just that day. What will people think? Well, they thought I'd gone crazy. That's what they thought. We, my wife and I kept it three years. We didn't have anybody to associate with. And I didn't learn anything, per se. I'd read the literature, but I couldn't put anything together. So we kept Saturday and Sunday. We wanted to be sure. I had 48 hours <laughs> of time. And so you can see why people thought I'd gone nuts. But I needed a teacher, someone to teach me. And finally, a minister did come to see me and my wife, and he spent five hours talking to us. And I shall never forget the scripture that he used. It's found in Isaiah 58. And he explained that scripture in Isaiah 58. And I believe that scripture. I believe it today. I've experienced that scripture many times in Isaiah 58, verse 13. If, condition, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath or doing your work or whatever, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, so all week long, we need to be thinking about this. Not our pleasure, but can't wait to be with God and God's people. Where we get excited about it. Think about now, Christmas will be coming soon, right? And they'll run you crazy. Yeah, they'll run you crazy. Merry Christmas. Santa Claus is coming to town. Hallelujah. See? Now, why can't we do that sometimes with God? See? We're afraid a lot of times to show God our feelings, our emotions toward Him. And we should exalt Him highly for calling us, for choosing us at this time. That He's chosen us, called us, gave us His Sabbath day to know who He is. Now we understand the other commandments. We always understood those pretty much. You know, in the Protestant church, they'll teach nine of them pretty, uh, pretty much, but they didn't know God, and they still don't know God. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and that's why they don't know He's the Savior. You see, that's why they have a false image of Jesus. They brought Jesus with all power and made a picture out of Him. Brought Him down here, made a picture out of Him. See, made Him human. Because they don't know him. And they preach a bunch of lies. See? As well. So if we call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, 
nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the eternal, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. And brethren, when we started keeping the Sabbath day, my wife and I going to church, I was making $300 a month. And we were going, uh, and you pay your tithe out of that. And we were traveling 240 miles round trip to church every Sabbath. We never missed a Sabbath. We traveled a spokesman club 240 miles. We traveled a Bible study 240 miles. And that car never did break down. It just kept going, 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 going. Closed didn't wear out at all. Then they had a, a new car down there for sale. So I went down to inquire about that. And, uh, and so uh, I bought it. And I didn't think I could afford it. Then we drove it and drove it and drove it until I was hired into the work full time. I sold the Oldsmobile and gave it to the work because God had given it to me. I know this works. You put God first. He's going to take care of you. That's what he said. He took care of the man who refused to go into work. He took care of him. There comes a time we just have to put God first and trust him and test him and see if he is God, if he'll keep his word. So he's explaining to all of us who he is, how much power he has. There is no other God. Don't send for anybody. Now we're in the age of Internet, you see. People probably trying to find some kind of pleasure. They get a little bored at time. Can't wait for the Sabbath to be over, see. I can't wait. How much longer is it before the Sabbath's over, see? <laughs> I've been guilty of that. Um, um, we're all human in a way. But we should hate to see it end. Can you imagine 400 years in the millennium? We say, I wonder when this is over. <laughs> Boy, I'd like to do my own thing. When, when's it going to be over here, you know? And when do we start in eternity? I'd like to get that behind me if I could. <laughs> human nature gets bored from time to time, and and we understand that. But those of you who may have doubt, and probably some of our new people might have a little doubt, all you have to do is test it. You don't have to take anybody's word for it. You test it and see if God isn't real and see if God doesn't keep his word. Now, I know Satan tries to destroy us all. He gives us bad reputation. Either hard or this way or that way, you know, trying to destroy those who would teach God's way of life. And yet they're very faithful to God's word, very faithful to the Sabbath day, very faithful, you see, to help people to grow in that grace and knowledge. And I think we understand that. And brethren, that's why that we should be so grateful to God that he's given us this assembly, that we can all come together for a purpose. So I've been asked the question, well, what do you do in the church? You know, what, what do we do? Why do we come to church? You ever ask yourself the question, why do you come to church? Well, number one, we come to be fed, don't we? Are we coming to hear the pure word of God, being fed by him, by his ministers? Let's turn to John chapter 21.
John chapter 21. In verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, that's John 21, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed, see my lambs. If you love me, feed my lambs. You are man after my heart. If you feed them, my heart. If you're seeking my heart, feed the lambs, feed them. And he said again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed ten my sheep. So it was helping him to see what it's like to be a true shepherd. See, true shepherd takes care of the sheep. The true shepherd understands the sheep. Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And some people say, well, how do you know when we go to a place of safety? He said, well, you'll hear the voice of Christ is what he said. They follow me. See? They don't follow anybody else. They follow me. And you hear it through his shepherds, the voice of Christ, because his true shepherds are after God's heart. They want to do what God wants done, not what's good for the people, but what God wants. They're after God's heart. See, and that's why God looks at in all of us. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said he the third time, and Peter could have said, well, Lord, how many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> you know, that's what we would say. Are you hard of hearing? See? Peter was grieved and said, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He said, you know all things, Lord. He finally said, you know all things, see. And he said, well, feed my sheep. And, of course, that was the commission. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was admonishing the elders there in Ephesus, from Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 Acts 20, verse 28. <clears throat> Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. You know, when you take heed, that means you pay carefully attention. See, you listen carefully attention to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, nobody can just volunteer for that job. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to do it. See, if the Holy Spirit of God is, is called you or me to be in a ministry, then you will hear the voice of the Son of God. The sheep will hear, and the sheep will listen, and the sheep will sin less, you see. That's the job of a shepherd is to feed the flock so they don't sin more, but sin less, see. And uh, for I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw them away the disciples after themselves. Well, we could say that happened in our time, couldn't we? That happens all during the ages. If you're not a true shepherd, a true shepherd 
feeds the flock, keeps the flock together, a true shepherd. And that's why Jesus said, and that's the man he seeks, man after his heart, like David was after God's heart. And God honored that. And God loved that of David. So if God is building his church, which he says he is Christ, now, I understand that more because where I live, they're just building all around me. I mean, just houses going up crazy, and they're all are ugly. You can't imagine how ugly everything looks being built. See? A little piece here, a little piece there. But they have to have the right piece, see. They, just, they don't put it all up at once. It has to be fitted in there somehow. It has to be measured and has to be fitted. So if Christ is building his church, he doesn't call it. God doesn't call everybody at once. It's where we are to fit that we can be used at that particular time. I might be a nail, see, a rusty nail. Hope not, but, but you see, all through the ages, God has called people that he could use and train to fit in that building. And while it's being built, it's ugly. We see ugly attitudes. We see division. We see a lot of things we don't understand while it's being built. But after this temple is put together, it's going to be beautiful. It'll shine throughout eternity. See, because Christ is that builder. Now, First Peter chapter 5, Peter also admonishes the shepherds. Verse 1, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partakers of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, by willing, not for dishonor uh, gain, but eagerly. Neither as being lords over the entrusted, uh, those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. He's got to be an example of service, of dedication, of loyalty. He says the example about, about the Sabbath day. And I can say this about Mr. Meredith. He's always, as far as I know, has kept the Sabbath. He comes if he's not preaching. He keeps the Sabbath, you see. And I've known him for since 1963, and I believe he said he's never missed too many Sabbaths. I can count ones I missed 48 years on one finger, one hand. And that's because I was sick. See? Now, show how foolish I was. I was going to Birmingham from Huntsville, and it was snowing. And it uh, just started snowing more so. So I crossed the Tennessee River Bridge, bridge there. And that the road was so you couldn't even see the road, highway. I couldn't go back, so I kept going forward. Kept going forward. Then we came to this hill, and my car wouldn't stop, but there was a car down there sideways. And I just started sliding. My wife was screaming. <laughs> I was just sliding down and finally slid over in the ditch. Now, I could have never gotten that car out. But there was a man there. Said, "Let me let me get that out for you." He got in and drove it right out. 
we went on to Birmingham. Just had to take our time because you couldn't see the highway. So we got to Birmingham, had services that, you know, that morning. Then afternoon, the roads were just as clear as they could be. And he said, were you a fool in doing that? Well, I was a zealous fool, you see, not a lazy fool. So if you're zealous, you do take chances at times. You know you do. You do take chances, or we would say uh, not tempt God by any way. He just he protects us. He sees our attitude. We want to be with, hear the sermon. We want to be with the brethren. And we'd fellowship, brethren, way up to 10 o'clock at night. Get back home about 2. People had their Bibles out, and they were talking. They were happy back in the 60s. They were talking about God, constantly talking. Now, I think we're gaining that momentum back in God's church. When people come here to headquarters, they talk about how friendly all of you are, how dedicated you seem to be. You only hear positive things. It wasn't so about Pasadena, (laughs) you know, at that time. But it's different. See, we're beginning to see the difference. The love for one another. The love for the church. The love to do what God wants done. That we're being built to carry on the work of God or Christ. Being built for that purpose. Have a church for that purpose. And He uses us in that, in that way. Now, Jeremiah chapter 3, we turn to Jeremiah 3, when God brings Israel out of captivity. It's what he says, Jeremiah 3, verse 14. Return, O backsliding children, verse 14 of Jeremiah 3, says the Eternal, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to the Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. When God gives a true shepherd... He can just read the Scripture to you, and you'll understand it. He he makes sense to the Scriptures. He ties it all together. Not because he's that smart, because God does it. And that's why that God sets people in his church to feed the flock. Now, we can't volunteer for it, but to feed the flock of God, to give the understanding to keep us from sinning less, see, from evil, from the world. Without knowledge, we'd go right back to the world. Without teachers, we'd go right back to the world. So the minister that God has set in the church is an example to all of us, see, of all of us. And we know what happened to the former organization that was set in there. And we see what we saw what happened. And now Mr. Meredith will never let that happen as long as he's alive. You see. And we trust that. We believe that. We came to the living well, I came to Global Church of God because I believe we they were doing the work of God. I wanted to find out who was doing the work so I could grow. Not just sit at home or a social club, but who was actually doing God's work. And God led me to global. 
Then we had learned some lessons in global, you see. And God weeded some people out. And now we are the living church of God. Not the confused church of God, but the living. We live the church of God, and people see that life in us. And we are a good example to people who have no hope. And I'm not bragging on myself, but I can go to an office somewhere, and first thing you know, they start telling me all their troubles. They just open up and start talking about their troubles, what they're going through. And uh, I don't know why that is, because I can't help them in any way, because they just need somebody to talk to. So they need somebody that will listen, somebody that will understand. Somebody has gone through it before. See? So we go through a lot of things we don't understand so we can help people that don't understand and help them. And so that's, I believe, the first reason we go is to be fed God's way of life. Then the second reason I believe we go is for fellowship, see? for the fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> In Acts chapter 2, verse 48, I believe, 41, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teachings. Steadfastly. You see, that's more important, really, than fellowship. We're fellowship in the apostles' teachings, in the minister's teachings. We fellowship in that. We talk about that. We have something in common, see, when we talk about that. And they were fellowshipping in that teaching of the apostles, So in breaking bread and prayer, they were happy. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and all things in common. See, just kind of one big family fellowshipping in the teachings that Peter had just preached to them. And they were taught. They were excited, just like we were when we first called, come to church. We were excited. However... I wanted to teach everybody. (laughs) I didn't want to be taught. I wanted to tell them what I know, you know. This is what I know. And I'm thankful we had people listen and then correct me. In 1 John chapter 1, the fellowship is so important. And the right fellowship is in what we're learning, exciting, to teach, I mean, to share that. That knowledge, that understanding. I know my wife, uh, I come home sometimes, she's all bright-eyed, and she says, guess what I learned today in the Scriptures? And I listen. She was all excited about something she saw that she apparently never saw before. Might have read it a thousand times, but all of a sudden it opened her mind to see it, and she was excited about that. And I know you've experienced that same thing. You see something that you've never seen before and how excited you want to share it with somebody. You can't hold it in at all. So he says here in First John chapter 
1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. See, in what we saw and what we preached, the fellowship is important. That Mr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, when they teach us, Doc Winnell and others, that we fellowship in that. We don't find fault with it. We don't like the personality. Or we don't like this. We don't like that. We fellowship in what we've been taught. And that's what God expects. That we fellowship in what we've been taught in the truth. That we have that common interest in coming to church to be fed the truth and fellowship in it as well. In Psalms 133, we sing that psalm. Thou good and how pleasant are brethren to dwell. And there's nothing any more pleasant than when you have a church that fellowships. They're not negative or divided. Very positive. It makes you feel good to just walk in the door. You can just tell the mood or, or the or how everything is just by the atmosphere. Peace, see. Now, it took us a little time to get used to this building. Now, we quit finding fault, didn't we? And started fellowshipping. Now, the building looks small to me. <laughs> That's that's the way it works sometimes. It's hard to break out of the status quo. We get comfortable in the status quo, and it's hard to break out of that. makes us uncomfortable, but we grow in it. So Psalms 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Running down on the edge of his garments, it is like the dew of Hormon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. So I had this young girl ask me one time, said, Miss Lee, what's in the church for me? I said, life, here and forever, just like here, life forevermore, in unity and harmony and peace. God would take those attitudes change it into eternal life, and we'll be that way forever. No more division, no more worry, no more sickness, no more pain, no more depression, no more negative stuff. Won't that be wonderful, a wonderful rest? Well, that's what this day pictures, the Sabbath, the millennial rest, all the Sabbaths of God. And as we keep the holy days, we understand God's plan. As we observe them, I learn something every year going through the holy days. Every year I learn more about that plan of God. We grow in the knowledge of God, who He is and what He is. And it becomes more personal to us. And uh, the sermon Mr. Meredith gave about how Jeremiah, what he went through, because he knew God was real and he loved God. He was willing do all that for God. The mire. See, I thought, boy, how could any human go through that? But they love God. God was real to them. See? And the more real God is for us, the more to us, we'll, we'll sacrifice more. We'll give more to God. Because we can't outgive God at all. Now, the third reason we go is to increase our faith. 
Well, there are many reasons, but uh, it's put here. And in Romans chapter 10, Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. And that's what we preach is faith, the word of faith. It builds up your faith. It gives you the confidence, the faith to step out and obey God at all costs. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because when we, faith is what takes us to our hope. The hope is the resurrection. We're all hoping for that resurrection. So faith is what takes us there. And we have many, you know, trials on the way, but, but it, we have to see the hope. A better life is coming for us, willing to sacrifice this life for the better life. See, not hold on to this life. It's too short. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be ashamed or what he teaches, what he says. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, you know, from the day of the Lord. Just calling on his name is not going to save us. We have to overcome and grow. We have to be useful. Then eternal life is given. It's a gift. We can't earn eternal life. It's a gift for us. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? See, And that's what's wrong with the Protestants. See? They don't know Christ. And they can't preach Christ. Only God's true minister can do that. Who Christ is and what he is. And, his, and God's plan for each one of us. His purpose. Over and over, we have to remember that. It's so easy to get the purpose of God for mankind. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good news of good things. But they say, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, so faith then comes by hearing. So we're here to increase faith by hearing the Word of God preached to us and hear, hear examples of others and read about their examples. We increase our faith and confidence in God that there is no other God besides Him. There is none. No other God besides God. And no use trying to find another God. There's nothing in this world that we need to make a God. It does not bring happiness. It does not bring peace. If you had a billion dollars without God, you'd still be miserable. You'd want another billion and another billion and another billion. See, you'd still be miserable. There is no peace in this world. Christ, in Christ, there is peace and happiness and joy in Christ, uh, Christ Jesus. Now, Matthew, well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 
verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in his spirit. There again is the unity, isn't it? I don't know what I'm going to be in that temple, what jewel will be a, you know, what, whatever the jewel is, is that, you know, creating me a gold of character, a gold of silver, character of gold and silver, whatever jewel, it's going to be beautiful. See? It'll all fit together, and that's God's purpose. God sees the end of his plan. We don't. He sees the beauty of it. We don't. We think this world is beautiful. See? God doesn't. See? But humans do. And humans are willing to die for the world. They're willing to die for their right to be, be wrong, see. But God doesn't call us for that purpose at all. So I've been asked, it says, Mr. Leake, how do I, how do I join your church? I said, you can't. I said, why? I said, well, I don't have a church. See. <laughs> you know, I don't have one. But God's church is, is how, how it works. See, his church, how it works. So our faith is increased as we go and hear God's word. We find that in Hebrews chapter 10 as well. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 38, or 37. For he, Hebrews 10, verse 37, for for yet a little while, and he was in coming to, he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Not faith in themselves, but faith in Christ, who is the Savior, the Redeemer, the God who created the Sabbath, see, who created the holy days. Faith in him, and he's coming. But if anyone, anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul or the life. See, a group of believers being saved from eternal death, waiting for the resurrection of God Almighty as he comes. Now, another reason I believe we come to church is we need forgiveness, don't we? We need to... Restore broken relationships. Now, we don't want to be like this individual I heard about who uh, went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, said, I hate to tell you this, sir. You have rabies, and it's deadly, and you're going to die. So the man said, would you let me have a pencil and paper? And he said, uh, gave him to him, said, you writing out your will? He said, no, I'm writing down the names of people that I want to bite before I die. He said, <laughs> You see, you see, we have to we have to be willing willing to forgive uh, these broken relationships. In Luke chapter eighteen, in Luke eighteen, yeah, that man was mean. Verse nine, and he who spoke this parable to to some who 
that trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. And that is so easy to do, have a standard for somebody else. Say, this is my standard, this is my barrier for you. You meet my standards and I love you and you'll be my friend. So the Pharisees are these, these two examples that Jesus is pointing out. Both went to the temple. I would say both went to church. See? One was saying, uh, I think the Pharisees said, verse 11, and prayed thus within himself. Was he really praying to God or just praying to himself? See? God, I thank you that I am not like others. Other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. And this is what I do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So he needed forgiveness. He didn't blame anybody. He judged himself as a sinner. Okay, he was judged, and God extended mercy to him. If we judge ourselves, not somebody else, God extends mercy to us. See, if we judge ourselves, if we judge ourselves, we're not going to be judged because we're judging that we're sinners. Every day, I pray that God will forgive me for sins of omission and sins of commission. Every day, I try to pray that God would direct my conversation. See, but sometimes I don't allow him. I get caught up in other things, maybe emotions. But my heart is that way. I want to be that way. See? It's not where you determine to be any other way. But circumstances, sometimes you get caught up in circumstances. So every day I try to pray for all of us. I try to pray for Dr. Meredith, the decisions she has to make. They're weighted decisions. Decisions will not please everybody. But he has to make decisions that affects all of us, affects the work. And I pray for him and Mr. Ames and Dr. Winnell and all of his ministers all around the world, all of our people, to help them that day, to give them the daily bread they need. If we pray for each other that way, and we don't realize, brethren, what way the decisions has to be made. And they are weighty. If you've ever worked in a company, you have to make decisions. Sometimes we get the, our business here, we're dealing headquarters, mixed up with the church. And we think, well, the, you know, there are businesses, uh, business decisions has to be made uh, about certain things. And we expect everybody to be like we are on a Sabbath. Well, maybe we see everybody the way they are during the week. <laughs> see? But we expect too much maybe sometimes. They, they can't measure up to that standard. And we judge them by the standard of the church where they have to work. And they work hard. Tired, worn out sometimes. And we all make mistakes. I don't think we deliberately try to make a mistake or deliberately try to sin against God. We get caught up in a weakness from time to time, but God does look at the heart. And that's what I'm trying to say. God is a merciful Savior. And if we 
coalesce together in harmony and peace and help Mr. Meredith to get the work done, see, to give to the work, then God will bless it. And I know he'll bless it. Now, when I was working with the Boeing Company, we put a man on the moon. And I don't think anybody can understand what a feat that was. How many people were involved? How many companies were involved? All came together for that one purpose, as to put a man on the moon. No one cared who got the job, who got the credit. We had to get a man on the moon by August of 1969. President Kennedy committed that. But nobody can understand, unless you were involved in it, what all it took for that one put it all together, and the faith and the training of those men who are on top of that capsule, trusted in every, all those parts, the correct timing, and that take, it took a lot of faith in mission control. See? But it all worked together, all was waiting anxiously, whole world was waiting. Now to come off the moon at the right time and dock with the mother ship, had to be split timing to everything. But it took faith on their part. I thought, boy, if the church of God had that kind of commitment see, to finish the work of God, to finish that work, we we'll all work together. We don't care who gets the credit except God gets the credit. Look what we could accomplish. See, When you work together in harmony and unity, you accomplish a lot. But it takes faith, it takes each one doing his part in that job that God has given us to do. So these relationships are very important that they can be restored and not pout, you know, not pout and somebody didn't speak to me, somebody did this to me and somebody done that. No, brethren, God is a big God. We don't have time for that. If we're in the end time as we've been being prepared for, we don't have time for all these petty things. We've got to see the big picture, see, that we're going to the moon and beyond the moon, the whole universe. That's what our calling. Now, another final reason that I wrote down here is we go to worship God, see, in spirit and in truth. The only way we can really worship God in spirit and in truth in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation 5, in verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and I made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Did we say that about God and Christ? You're worthy. You're worthy of our worship. You are to be honored above all. There is no other God besides you. We honor you. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our sacrifices. We honor you. The Sabbath, we honor it. If we come together, 
for this praise to our God who loves us, who died for us. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And I'd marvel when I'm out on the porch and I see all these birds, different, different birds, you know. You name it, they're there. How did God do all of that? How did he make those birds so? How did he put in a little, they don't have a brain, but how did he put in that instinct to build a nest? You take the mama bird doesn't teach the babies how to build a nest. It shows you the mind of God, big and little. Christ's personality from a lamb to a lion, see? What personality range he has. He can be a lion or he can be a lamb. And I hope he's a, I'd rather have him as a lamb. You know, he's coming back roaring when he comes back. But God is worthy of all the trees we see and the grass. And sometimes we take that for granted. And some mornings uh, out walking early, you begin to see the moon. Matter of fact, you can see it more in the wintertime, uh, the Carolina moon. It keeps on shining, the stars. And, and God is worthy. And walking, I say, God, you are worthy of all of our praise. There's nothing we can give you except praise in ourselves for your use, your glory, your honor. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, he said, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all things are in them. I will I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever.